Good evening, I'm Christian Esguera, and welcome to this episode of After the Fact, where we get to see things more clearly, where we get a better sense of the truth. So let's start by dissecting the news. A geospatial and data analytics company based in the United States came out with yet another alarming report on the damage wrought in the occupied reefs in the West Philippine Sea. Similarity pointed to damaging excess nutrients in these features compared to unoccupied reefs. The report came out a month after the company had also sounded the alarm on Chinese ships, allegedly dumping waste in the West Philippine Sea. Tonight, we'll talk more about these latest findings by this company based in the United States. Now, be part of our discussion. Send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANC after the fact. Joining us tonight is Liz Bear. He's the uh, co-founder of, uh, and CEO of Similarity. Also with us is Dr. Carissa Ferreira. He's the, uh, an associate professor at the UP Marine Science Institute. Uh, good evening and thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay. I'll start with uh, with Liz. So another interesting report coming from your company. But before we talk about your latest findings, I'd like to ask about your company. Uh, what exactly is a geospatial company? What is Similarities all about? So what we do is analyze geocoded data that can be from a satellite image. It can be something like a... a chlorophyllae reading from uh, uh, different spectra in the satellite. So it doesn't have to just be pictures, but we have to know the location. And what we do is look at what is changing over time in those locations and help make geospatial analysts, whose job it is to look at these images and determine what's happening, more productive because we help them focus on where the changes are that they need to look at. Okay, and, and how exactly do you validate or vet uh, certain data that, that you collect? Uh, so we use a variety of sources uh, for the geospatial data. Um, we can use high-resolution satellites, low-resolution satellite images, um, synthetic aperture radar. So we're able to look at a situation from multiple different views, but at this point, we're just looking at data from satellites. So. There's an awful lot you can't tell from that high up uh, off the earth, um, like the actual chemical compositions of the water to a very fine accuracy. Okay, because as in any study uh, or research, it's important to identify the scope and the limitations of the, uh, of the uh, study itself. Now, in this case, let's talk about the latest findings by Similarity. So what exactly uh, do you mean when you found more damaging excess nutrients in uh, features in the West Philippine Sea, Spratlys that were occupied compared to those that were unoccupied. Right. So in order to really understand what's been happening to the reefs in Union Banks, we need to compare them to reefs that are nearby but don't have hundreds of ships anchored inside their lagoon just to be able to compare. And so that's what this report is doing and what we found is without those hundreds of ships these reefs are actually um uh, their chlorophyll a is lessening which in broad terms means that's really good for the coral the coral competes with the algae and this gives the coral a chance to to grow back and rebuild after things like bleaching events 
Okay, let's ask uh, Dr. Carissa Ferreira. So we've heard the, the latest report coming from Seminarity. Uh, let's talk about the impact of this, especially the long-term impact. Give us a sense of, uh, give us a sense of uh, how urgent and how dangerous these findings are. For example, what they mean by excess nutrients, and chlorophyll okay. A in connection with the rest of the marine environment. Yeah. So uh, for us to easily imagine what excess nutrients are, uh, we can just uh, imagine the, for example. Uh, the dumping of uh, wastes in Pasig River. And uh, uh, during that time, uh, we can uh, see some blooms of um, water lily. So if you uh, go to the macros microscopic level, uh, it can be compared to the excess nutrients can be compared to harmful algal blooms or red tide. So um, this can be the output of the excess nutrients, meaning these excess nutrients are not really needed by the organisms that are already there in the water, uh, but it can promote the growth of possibly harm harmful organisms uh, in the water, which uh, can now be uh, measured as chlorophyll A uh, by our uh, satellite uh, data products. And okay. it's, it's, it's harmful for, for the organisms because this overgrowth of algae can block sunlight or other uh, very important parameters for the growth of our uh, coral reefs. And as we know, our coral reefs provide homes for our fish, which is uh, very important uh, for the livelihood of uh, the Filipino people and those that are depending on the reefs. Um, so it's very important really to understand and to minimize and uh, if, if possible, prevent the, the presence of these excess nutrients in the water. Okay. And what exactly are triggering this excess uh, nutrients in the water? In the so, areas of similarity? Yeah, so th this uh, can be caused by sewage as, as based from the report because, you know, sewage uh, contains organic matter. So if you can also just imagine the untreated sewage, for example, in Metro Manila. So it, but it, we are near the coast. So you can just imagine if you go there uh, out in the ocean uh, and, and some people just dump um, dump uh, sewage there. And it, of course, it's it's untreated. Uh, Presumably, um, so um, this can contribute to not only organic matter, but also when this uh, organic matter gets decomposed, it becomes the dissolved uh, nutrients in the water, which is then consumed by the organisms, our phytoplankton, uh, that can cause algal bloom and increase in chlorophyll A concentration that is detected by, by our satellite data products. Okay, is it usually detected by satellite or it has to grow a certain length or size for that to be identified? And that could also show the extent of the problem. Um, it has, okay, Liz, you can answer well, that. Well, the satellite imagery that we are measuring actually has 10 meter resolution. So it has to be at least a 10 meter by 10 meter square for us to be able to see it with the satellite. Okay, so, so in this case, uh, how, how big is the scope or the scale of the problem? Liz? I, I, would, I would say it's pretty substantial. Um, uh, and almost all of the reefs in the Union Banks seem to be affected. And um, it, 
Coral is having a hard time all over the world, just competing with the anthropogenic changes uh, from climate change. And this just really adds fuel to that fire. So almost all of the reefs in Union Bank, uh, Union Banks have been, have been affected by this. Uh, how long has this been happening based on the monitoring of your company? So it, it's a over time effect and there have been hundreds of ships in Union Banks for at least a year, but it goes back further beyond that. So, so basically this uh, mainly driven by human activity. Generally, when you see blooms like this, it's driven by human activity and um, a lot of that is either sewage or what they call agricultural runoff, which is again, fertilizer uh, that helps these uh, phytoplankton and other plants that are larger grow. Okay, okay, uh, the, the, Dr. Uh, Teresa, when, when, when you talk about this particular problem, uh, how long does it usually take for this to reach this magnitude or scale? Is it five um, years? or is quite quick, depending on the, uh, let's say, discharge of human waste or other forms of waste? Well, um, the bloom formation, uh, uh, meaning the, the time that it takes for the, our microorganisms to grow, it can happen in, in a matter of days or weeks. And um, so long as the conditions are favorable for them to grow, they have the nutrients, they have light, and um, the extent can be uh, can depend on, on several factors. So it can depend on continuous input of these excess nutrients. It can also depend on uh, the uh, uh, current or um, how the how the seawater flows. So its its extent can can it's, it's depending really on on the input of, of nutrients and as well as the processes, the physical processes in, in the ocean where the currents will take those, um, those bloom or red tide or uh, this bloom of organisms. Okay, but, but in this case, uh, based on the findings of uh, similarity, uh, Dr. Ferreira, uh, do you agree that basically these findings were driven by human activity? Yeah, I think so, because um, based on their uh, results, uh, uh, a few years ago, some years ago, the, the, uh, there are some areas where the chlorophyll A concentration is really not very high in, in some areas, but suddenly it, it went high in, in the last five years or so. Okay. Uh, officially, uh, Liz, when did you first identify or notice this development of chlorophyll A? Uh, and, and that's the subject of your study. Right. Um, we first started looking into it in April. We've been watching the ships uh, move around the Spratleys since October, and they tend to stay in just one place. And so that got us thinking, well, is there damage being caused by the ships just staying inside that atoll uh, in the lagoon there? And uh, we decided to look at the chlorophyll A and other things that we can see from space. And when we looked at chlorophyll A, we saw a large amount of it that wouldn't be there otherwise. But, but is the problem concentrated mainly on uh, Union Bank 
or did you also notice a similar situation elsewhere in the Spratlys? So the ships have been concentrated uh, in the Union Banks and um, some of the other inhabited Spratlys also have more chlorophyll A than you would expect if, if they weren't inhabited. So I think anywhere there's been human activity in the Spratlys, um, we will see this situation with excess nutrients. Okay, uh, Carissa, is this problem irreversible? Um, it's it's really uh, difficult to say, but uh, I think what what we can do now is to really uh, prevent uh, additional inputs of uh, excess nutrients in the water. Uh, to also um, relieve the pollution um, pollution load. So I think our, our waters, our reefs are getting polluted uh, uh, by those uh, inputs of excess nutrients. But, but basically, ordinarily, what, what can be done regarding this? Of course, you can ab avoid, uh, you, you can do certain steps to so, so as not to worsen the situation. But in the meantime, can you also do something about the existing problem? Uh, yeah, so I, I think the, the best way is for them to treat their waste before they dump it in the ocean. If they will really stay there for a long time, or I don't know how, how long will they will stay there, they need to treat their waste. They need to make sure that uh, whatever uh, discharge they will uh, release in the waters uh, uh, is treated and will not cause any uh, increase in chlorophyll A concentration. Okay, uh, and, and I also like you to take this opportunity to explain to, to our viewers why this problem is quite serious, if not very, very serious. For example, in the context of uh, food security, if you're talking about uh, coral reefs being compromised, being destroyed, how that would affect uh, fish supply coming from that area or those areas. Uh, I think uh, based on the report of Liz, you also mentioned uh, something like dead zones, right? Is that correct, Liz? You mentioned dead zones. Yeah, the yeah. excess nutrients can create eutrophication, which does create these hypoxic areas where there isn't enough oxygen for uh, organisms to survive. Okay. So, so Dr. Ferreira, can you expound yeah. on that? For, for, for us to get a sense of uh, of this problem really okay so when when there is a bloom or of phytoplankton no when there is red tide or algal bloom so um it needs to get decomposed uh after some time so it will die so the bloom will die and that that's what will cause the decrease in oxygen concentration because uh microorganisms will need to decompose that uh, bloom or organic material. And that's what, as, as what Liz said, that's what, what causes the very low dissolved oxygen concentration or anoxic or regions in, in our areas. And uh, what it also does to our reefs is uh, it increases the nutrients. So the, it, it's where excess nutrients come in. And uh, there can be uh, shifts in, in, in communities in our coral reefs. For example, uh, if initially there are um, coral reefs in the area, they can, uh, there can be growth of macroalgae in that area. So they somehow replace our coral reef uh, that are homes for our fish. So, and actually, um, there can be also coral diseases because of these excess nutrients. 
and when our reef the reef dies so it 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 it's difficult to replace because because uh that our reefs grow like two to ten centimeters per year and it takes ten thousand years around that timeline before our reefs can grow that big and can supply uh the livelihood, the fisheries that that uh, our um, our countrymen need or the fishers need, so it will really have a negative impact on on our fisheries. Okay, ten thousand years. Yeah. For, for those reefs to grow to again. Form, yeah. To form to sustain. Yeah. Uh, the the natural habitat yes. for marine life as we know it today. So I yeah. think. That should be enough to, to remind everyone that this is a very serious problem. Okay, yes. I'd like to go back to that later on, especially in the context of the reclamation or island building uh, that was done by the Chinese in certain features in the West Philippine Sea, in the rest uh, in the rest of the Spratlys, or and also in the Palisal Islands. In the meantime, Liz, th this latest report of yours uh, was disconnected with your findings last July. Uh, the, the controversial one where you were very much uh, criticized, if not maligned, even by the Chinese government uh, because of your finding then that uh, certain ships from China allegedly were dumping waste uh, in, in, the, in the West Philippine Sea and elsewhere in the Spratlys. Are they connected? Uh, they are connected and um, uh, there was a fair amount of criticism uh, from people who didn't understand that you could actually measure chlorophyllae from space. And we uh, released a report that, to address that. And there was uh, some criticism, which was totally valid, that you can't really make a, a judgment about what's happening with those reefs that are seeing this activity without comparing them to reefs that aren't. And so this is to answer that criticism, which was really a fair point. And it does show uh, and support our initial findings that there is more chlorophyll A that is being deposited and in the water in the Union Bank. But, but how did you verify on the ground or at sea your findings based on satellite data that there were allegedly waste dumping activities uh, in the West Philippine Sea, for instance? So um, how did we originally determine that they were dumping waste? Is that your question? Better the, the information. Yeah, so it's really difficult to draw a straight line from ships to macroalgae from satellite imagery. That's where we really need uh, people like Carissa to go out and look at the reefs and measure the water quality. What we can see is is a broad impact, but it's difficult to quantify it. Okay, yeah, but but did did the uh, dumping actually uh, subside, or did they even stop after the report came out? So uh, we have noticed uh, from very recent imagery that they have moved about a hundred ships out of the Union Banks uh, and out of the West Philippine Sea. Uh, over to uh, Gavin Reefs and Fiery Cross, which are both uh, Chinese bases. Um, so reducing the number of ships there definitely helps. Another thing that we've noticed is that they are no longer anchoring large numbers of ships together. And we've seen that pattern for years where they'll anchor 
10, 20 ships all together. And when they do that, the waste for those ships is very concentrated in one location when it is released. And so now they are no longer anchoring all those ships together and they're more being anchored singly, which distributes the waste and helps have it a chance to uh, diffuse in the water before it can actually get to the reef. So they have taken steps uh, since our report came out to lessen the problem. Okay, but by the way, before I go back to Dr. Ferreira, let's uh, trace uh, that problem again, that big controversy. I think uh, even certain government officials accused uh, your company of uh, peddling fake news. I think uh, because of this photo, uh, of an Australian ship, if I'm not mistaken, that was used in your presentation. Uh, talk to us about that. What, what what exactly happened there? So it's difficult to visualize the dumping of sewage uh, from a satellite image where it's just a couple of pixels. Uh, and so I wanted something to help visualize it. And I did a search. I found this ship on an article on Marine Executive about sewage being dumped and assumed that that's what it was. And I credited uh, Marine Executive and said it was an unknown ship in my report. But it's a very compelling image and it got used without uh, those attributions. And it turned out that the Marine Executive article was not actually correct in identifying it as sewage. And so. A little more research on my part probably would have been appropriate. <laughs> did you did you did you regret using that uh, photo of that unknown ship just to prove your point uh, back then? I do, I do, um, it, because it just confused the subject and gave people an excuse to dismiss the findings, which weren't related to that photo at all. Okay, but but just to be clear, uh, there were indeed. Uh, dumping activities, waste dumping activities, there were. So we can't see the actual dumping of the waste from space. What we can measure are the results that happen when waste gets dumped. So we don't have video imagery of these ships dumping waste, um, but we can see by measuring what's in the water that that is what is happening. Okay, Dr. Ferreira, what would be the logical conclusion of that if there were pieces of evidence in the water, even if you didn't see the actual dumping of waste coming from certain ships? I mean, what would have been the logical conclusion? Actually, if, 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 you, are, if you imagine that you are a ship and you are staying there for a very long time and uh, you need to discharge your waste, and where, where, where would you discharge that? I, I think it the logical thing of for for I mean uh, decision of those in in those ships um, was would be to to dump uh, their waste in there. But actually, I mean that's uh, that's uh, their what they think is practical for them because they won't uh, because they won't perhaps they don't uh, want to have additional expenses on on treating waste. But actually. Um, it can be, we, we also, I, I went, to, uh, I, I was part of the recent expedition uh, to the West Philippine Sea, but uh, we didn't see uh, 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 dumping right, right there and then, but 
we can we can see some uh, evidences. For example, uh, uh, there are some researchers who collected uh, water samples for plankton, and after getting our plankton net and um, examining what what uh, went in there, we saw some fibers, microfibers, and uh, it it possibly came from from the the ropes that are used to 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 tie the anchors of of ships, and there we also saw some microplastics. So um, it, it's really an indication that um, the water gets polluted uh, by 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 sewage, by by other types of plastics that are being dumped uh, in in the water, and. Um, uh, what is critical is this microplastics can go, get also ingested by, by fish and other uh, marine organisms. So we really have to also monitor those kinds of things. Okay. Uh, this expedition of yours recently, when did this uh, take place and where exactly uh, in the West Philippine Sea? Uh, we uh, went to uh, uh, Pagasa Island and other unexplored areas in, in the West Philippine Sea. And it took place just this uh, summer of, uh, I mean, April to May of this year. Okay, so so basically, based on the report by Similarity in the case of Union Banks, the more ships you have there, the more possibility for for pollution logically, right? Is that what we're talking about here? Yes. And the other problem is those ships are not supposed to be there in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of them, like... Uh, well, what we saw is perhaps at least 10. At least 10. At continuously, I mean, in, in the area that we visited. We, we were not able to go to Union Banks. Okay. Liz, uh, they, they have data, um, latest data, the more recent data. Uh, so how many uh, vessels, foreign vessels, are there uh, perhaps as of the past few weeks uh, all over the West Philippine Sea? meaning within the exclusive economic zone of the Philippines? So I don't have a hard number on that yet. We're still analyzing the data, but it looks like there's somewhere around 130 in the West Philippine Sea, uh, but we're still analyzing that information. That is down about 100 from what we reported on in July. This 130 ships, of course, this is an estimate uh, this was as of when? Uh, August 6th. As of August 6th. And most of them are concentrated in the Union union banks or, or not? Yes. Okay. Are, are these small vessels? Or, of course, is it hard to tell based on satellite data? But perhaps you have other information to, to, to cross-check uh, those data with. Uh, they vary in size, but... Typically, the vessels that we're seeing are, are quite large, um, 60 meters or so in length. Now, that, that's a pretty substantial uh, fishing ship. And due to the limitations of the resolution of the satellite imagery we're using, if there was a ship that was 10 or 20 meters, that would be much harder to identify because it would show up like as a single pixel or maybe two. And so the, the bigger the ship, the easier it is to identify. Logically, but, but, but since you came out with this uh, controversial reports, has the Philippine government or any agency of the Philippine government uh, gotten in touch with your group to perhaps uh, get more information 
from your study? Uh, yes, um, we have talked to uh, Phil S.A. and also uh, the DENR about uh, what they can do to research and analyze uh, and, and confirm or deny the results that our study came up with. And what was the, uh, what was the resolution on the part of the Philippine government? They were true. Were they able to validate the information from you? So I think that's going to take some time. It, they need to, you know, mount an expedition uh, like uh, Dr. Carissa went on. Um, but in order to do that, they need to get close to uh, union banks. And right now that is very heavily guarded. So they're fairly limited in what they can do right at the moment. Yeah, because I remember one of the uh, most common criticisms against your group was that you're working against China and that you're pro-United pro States in this entire uh, geopolitical uh, battle. Of course, whose theater is the West Philippine Sea or the South China Sea? Interestingly enough, um, we, we really aren't against China. And we released a report last week uh, analyzing the chlorophyll A in uh, an island, uh, Diego Garcia, which is a reef with a lagoon. Uh, in the Indian Ocean, and that is occupied by the United States. And in that report, we also talk about how the United States is occupying an island uh, without the permission of the original occupants of that island and is actually violating uh, 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 an arbitral agreement uh, uh, similarly to how China is. Um, in occupying this island. So uh, I, we're pretty even-handed in our criticism. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. After the fact, we'll be right back. Welcome back to After the Fact. We're still joined by Alice there and uh, Dr. Uh, Carissa Ferreira. Okay, I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Ferreira regarding the, the protocols at sea, uh, if you have ships that would have to to discharge of their waste um, while in the waters. What is the standard protocol there? The standard protocol is that you have to go some distance. I don't have the exact number, but you should be away from, from these uh, reefs and that you should um, respect this kind of distance and you have to go more offshore. So, and the idea for that is for the wastes to, to not go to, to the reefs and they can be possibly diluted uh, as it, it, it gets transported by the water. And um, I th I, I've heard of the term gray water, so there should be uh, some sort of initial treatment of, of these uh, sewage or wastes before they get discharged from the boats. So there should be treatment. That is a requirement. Yeah, somehow uh, treatment. Yeah. But, but, how treatment. Are, uh, but, but how strictly uh, in reality are these uh, ships uh, being monitored, especially if you talk about uh, small vessels? Uh, I think um, many of them have been labeled as part of the Chinese maritime militia. I mean, how, how do you exactly in reality uh, monitor whether they are following those standard protocols? It's, it's really difficult <laughs> to do that, um, uh, except if there are um, our troops or there are 
in in some uh, marine parks if if there are rangers that can um, call out these ships that they think are our are uh, dumping their wastes within and uh, within the prohibited uh, line of uh, demarcation where they should not um, dump their wastes unless we have those people it's it's really difficult to monitor that okay uh, at this point i'd like to talk about an, a very important aspect of this entire uh, geopolitical battle which concerns uh, the south china sea because one perspective is that this is a battle between the United States and China, uh, perhaps a turf war. And fortunately or unfortunately, the Philippines occupies a very strategic uh, location in this entire battle. That's why it's been described as a flashpoint, possible flashpoint. But in the, in, on the other hand, there's also the other important aspect of this entire problem, which is food security, the dwindling fish stock uh, coming from that, from, from that particular area, which is very rich and resources. Talk to us about the importance of this particular aspect for, for us to better understand why it's important for us to, to make sure that the marine environment is uh, taken care of and that no abuses uh, should be happening from, from uh, any side, uh, Dr. Ferreira. Um, actually, in, in any aspect, uh, there should be sustainability. So uh, we also have sh should have sus sustainable fisheries, and for that to happen, uh, we should there uh, the um, excessive fishing uh, should be uh, prohibited in in our areas in the, uh, in other parts of uh, the West Philippine Sea. However, it's it's really because of this tension, it's it's really uh, difficult to do that. But what we as as scientists, what we are doing is uh, to make the people aware of the situation, and I think that's what also Liz team is doing. Uh, I think we are like pro environment <laughs> and pro sustainability, and really what we are doing is really for the society and for the people. And um, we believe that uh, science can really help us uh, understand what is going. Uh, what is going on in in the West Philippine Sea, and um, the more we, uh, the more uh, data sets from science that we analyze, the more we get to know uh, this region, uh, including the seasonality of of the parameters that are being measured, and uh, extending also to fish stocks and uh, also food security uh, in that uh, in those studies. So not only really not only natural sciences, but also we are involving the uh, social sciences. So we, we would really like to talk to the people and help with their uh, livelihood, sustainable livelihood. This next question, I'd like you uh, both to respond to this, but I'll, like, uh, I'll ask Liz first. Uh, you also deal with science and of course data. Uh, is there an effort to, to actually for scientists from not just from the claimant countries, not just from the stakeholders, but even from outside the so-called fence, uh, to, to come together to talk about protecting the marine environment, uh, devoid of any political leanings, devoid of any geopolitical tension or whatsoever. There, there absolutely has been. In fact, there's a proposal to make the Spratly Islands a protected marine park uh, that uh, they were calling a peace park. 
um, so that that environment could be protected so that the livelihood and the ability of the uh, local populations that live on the shoreline to be able to eat and fish is preserved. Okay, how about in the case of uh, uh, Carissa, Dr. Ferreira, is there any similar uh, engagement or cooperation among marine biologists or scientists? Yeah, we are continuously uh, preparing research proposals to further understand what is what are the gaps in in our understanding of the West Philippine Sea because as you know our trips there for example if we go there for expeditions it's it's only uh, for the duration is only a few weeks time so we really have to go back afterwards so we have to sustain also our research efforts uh, in these areas and uh, to do that we we are continuously preparing proposals to continue such kinds of efforts and i would like also to mention that there is a decade of ocean science for sustainable development and uh, we can anchor all our um because it, it runs from 20 to 2021 until 2030 and we can really anchor our research efforts and other um projects in 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 those in those trusts okay so 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 even if there are uh, there's tension among the politicians among governments among the literal states uh there, there's something that could bind or can that can be considered as a common denominator or common ground which is science and they need to protect the marine environment uh dr garissa yeah definitely <laughs> okay uh liz do you have any uh uh, new data regarding uh, the damage or the uh, prevailing impact of the island building or land reclamation, uh, which I think had been completed by, by China in parts of the uh, Spratlys. So we have not studied that because the, the main satellite imagery that we use started in 2016. So that's why actually we were looking back five years is that that's as, as far back as the imagery that we can use uh, that's reasonably high resolution uh, can can be accessed. Now, there, there is imagery that is at like 30 meter resolution that, that goes back before that. Uh, but in terms of documenting the damage that the island building has done, there's really a a lot of effort went into extensively documenting and quantifying that damage uh, as preparation for the uh, UN clause uh, litigation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, how about uh, Carissa? Uh, talk to us about the designs of it when you talk about the uh, long term damage of island building, land reclamation, because I think uh, a huge swath of uh, coral reefs were also was also pulverized as yeah. part of that building done by the Chinese, right, in that area. I mean, how yeah. are these ordinary Filipinos, for instance? Because, of course, we're speaking in English, but if you watch this on social media, uh, a lot of people would really want to understand uh, the, the impact of these activities in, in the lives of actual Filipinos. Yeah, uh, I think one uh, way to understand it is that our coral reefs have ecosystem services and they have value. They have economic value. And there are actually studies that um, 
that are do, doing this economic valuation of our marine resources such as coral reefs no and um when when we uh, destroy our reefs by building islands uh, we not only destroy the ecosystem and the uh, our coral reefs itself but also the neighboring ecosystems like seagrass beds which are the home or nursery beds also of uh economically important fish so um there was an island that we visited where we saw some um some reclamation being done because there was a port being uh docking area being constructed and unfortunately the the area that was covered was a seagrass bed with relatively um uh, good conditions as as a, a nursery area for juvenile fish that has high commercial value. So if we destroy their home, they will not stay there anymore. So we won't have that uh, fish uh, being caught in that area. So it's really, there are really strategic areas. Um, for example, those areas that are exposed to waves, so they cannot be good sites for, for nursery beds of fish, but those areas that are seagrass beds that are facing the lagoon, they, they can, which have uh, uh, slow current, which are ideal conditions for the growth of, of the fish, uh, especially economically important fish. So they can be destroyed. And not only that, our clarity of the water gets poorer because of the sedimentation uh, from, from those pulverization, from those uh, reclamation activities. So that, that can also impact because light is a very important factor, uh, especially for coral reefs, as also as um, uh, for seagrass beds and other organisms that photosynthesize. Yes. Well, this has been a very uh, technical, but at the same time, very educational discussion. Uh, I hope our viewers uh, felt and realized a sense of urgency of this entire problem that will uh, that is really affecting uh, actual lives. Of Filipinos and other stakeholders in this uh, in this vast sea, which we call the South China Sea, uh, Professor Carissa Ferreira and uh, Miss Liz Bear, thank you very much for joining us tonight on the program. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much as well. So that's it for tonight. This has been your host Christian Esguera. You can watch this episode again on I Want TNT. Listen to our podcast on Spotify. Now for recaps and other exclusive content, subscribe to the ANC YouTube channel and catch up with us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you again on Monday after the fact.